our world and our lives are not as they should be. As followers of Jesus, we know that he holds the entire universe in his hands. And we know that he holds each one of us in his hands. And yet, our lives are not as they should be. Listen to these words from a recent song. It's by an artist, Matthew West. It's called Truth Be Told, and and I'm I'm not gonna sing. But the song opens up like this. Line number one. You're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better. Line number two. Everybody's life is perfect except yours. And so keep your messes and your wounds and your secrets safe with you behind closed doors. Truth be told? Yeah, the truth is rarely told. Now, I say I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine, but I'm not. I'm broken. And when it's out of control, I say it's under control. But it's not. Can you relate? I think most of us have problems with how we respond to the issues that come from living in this imperfect world. Your struggle might be with responding with anger or with speech that wounds others. Maybe it's how you've responded to a divorce. Or maybe it's a response that leads to an addiction of some sort. We want to live lives that the Lord Jesus came down to earth to give to us. But how we respond to things, that can keep us from enjoying that life. And so how can you enjoy, how can you experience that life that Jesus came to give right now? How can you experience the peace that Jesus wants you to have right now? Well, the Apostle Paul has an answer for us. And we'll find that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, through chapter, or chapter, I mean, Colossians 2, 20, through chapter 3, verse 17. So open your Bibles, please, and join me in Paul's letter to the Colossians. We'll begin in chapter 2, verse 20. And the first thing we're we're going to see is we're going to see the, the old you, We're going to see the new you, and then we're going to consider an appropriate way to respond. The old you, the new you, and an appropriate response. And the first thing I want you to see is the way in which the old you responds to the desires of the flesh. That's not effective in controlling those desires. And one of the reasons is the old you depends on human wisdom and human rules. Look at what Paul said. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit to decrees? Like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom, and self-made religion, and then the end of the verse, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Paul's saying that the old you lives life according to the world. 
And that means that you submit to what Paul calls here the elementary principles of the world. Those are the principles that determine how the world operates. And in turn, how you operate. How you respond. But these are, these are nothing more than the commandments and the teachings of human beings. And Paul says that they only appear to be wise because it's a self-made religion. And he says at the end of verse 23 that they have no value. They're worthless in helping you to control how you respond to desires. For example, if you have a problem with alcohol, well, just don't drink. If you have a problem with anger management, well, go work out on a punching bag. If you have a problem with how you respond to lust, well, just don't look. Well, you know, and I know, that just trying to follow the rules, that doesn't work. Or it doesn't work for very long. Because the problem is a problem in our heart. It's a spiritual issue, and trying to just follow the rules, that doesn't do anything to change your heart. Then at the end of verse 23, Paul gave the second reason why the old you is not effective in controlling how you respond to your desires because the old you likes to indulge those desires of the flesh. Then in chapter 3, Paul moves on to um, give us um, what those desires are of the flesh and how the old you responds to those desires. Let's take a look. This starts in chapter 3, verse 5, through verse 9. Paul wrote, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also... Put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth, and do not lie to one another. In verse 5, Paul did refer to the members of your earthly body. That's another way of saying your flesh. And then he goes into some of the desires of that flesh, right? He says, immorality, impurity, passion, those are words associated with sexual sins. Evil desire, that could refer to a sexual sin or a wider range of sins. And then he says greed or coveting. You know, that's when you want what someone else has. You want a relationship that someone else has, but you don't. And notice that Paul says, that's the same thing as idolatry. The idea is that you give in to your desires and you go against what our perfectly good and loving Father has chosen to give to you. We could say that in that sense that every one of these has its root in greed or coveting or idolatry. And then in verse 8, in the first part of verse 9, Paul lays out some of the ways that people respond when they give in to those desires, right? He talks about anger, that, 
that actually means a kind of a, a, a chronic smoldering hatred. Next thing he mentions is wrath or uh, rage might be how your uh, translation listed. And that's when this kind of smoldering cauldron of, of anger burst out. Malice, that's when you intentionally set out to harm someone. Slander, I think of that as a verbal assassination, right? You're telling an untruth about someone in order to kill their good reputation. Abusive speech, that's when you intentionally speak words aimed at hurting someone. And then, of course, Lying. So what we see in verse 5, verse 8, the first part of verse 9, that's all about your old you and how you respond to your desires before you were saved and united with Christ. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. Because the old you died with Christ. So don't let the old you determine how you respond to those desires. Look what Paul said in verse 20 back to, let's look at that again. He said, if you have died with Christ, why, as if you were living in the world, do you still submit to its ways? If, or the or real sense of this is since, since you have died with Christ, because when God saved you, he united you with Christ in his death, why are you still submitting to the ways of the world? Why are you still living like you used to before you were saved? Well, that's a great question. Then in chapter 3, Paul asks, says the same thing but a different way. Look again at verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to those desires. You see, it's with the the members of your body, your body parts, that you carry out how you respond to the desires, right? It's with your tongue that you respond with speech that wounds someone. It's with your eyes that you respond to lust. It's with your hands that you respond with anger. And Paul says that because you've spiritually died with Christ, consider your body parts as dead. Because if they're dead... You can't use them to respond to your desires. And then he added in verse 7. He said, it's in them that you also once walked, right? Past tense. When you were living in them. The idea is that in the past, before you were saved, before you were united to Christ and his death, that's how you used to walk. That's how you used to live. That's how you used to respond to those desires, but then we come to that verse 8. Paul said, but now, but now, you also put them aside. You don't have to live that way anymore because you've been changed. You're different. We've seen the old you, but that's not the end of the story. Let's look at the new you. And the way the new you responds to your desires, it's focused on heaven, and it's Christ-like. That's because the new you is united with Christ in heaven. Look at how Paul talked about this. <clears throat> it's in the first few verses of chapter 3. We skipped them before, but now it's time to read them. 
Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you've been raised, with, raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Paul here reminded his readers that not only had they died with Christ, but they've been raised from the dead with Christ as well. And where is Christ now? He's in heaven. And so you also are in heaven with him because you've been united with him. Right now it's in a spiritual sense. Later on it's going to be physical. When you get your resurrection body, and, that's because, and because that's where you are spiritually, that's where your heart should be as well. So Paul said in verse 1, he said, keep seeking, keep desiring after, keep aiming for the things or the ways of heaven because that is where Christ is. And he's seated at the right hand of God. The position of authority and power where the divine king gets to set the rules for how to respond when you live in his kingdom. Then in verse 2, Paul says that the very way you think should be based on where Christ is and on Christ in his ways. In other words, the pattern for how you respond should be based on the pattern that Christ has shown. It's the old, what would Jesus do kind of idea. And then in verses 3 and 4, even though Christ remains hidden, hidden with God in heaven, at least for now, there's going to come a time when Jesus comes back. Not as a humble baby this time, but in full power and glory. And when that happens... The reality of Jesus, this one who has given you the new life, this one who has given you the patterns for how to respond, oh, it's going to be plain for everyone to see. And when he's revealed, you're going to be revealed right alongside him in the heavenly realm because that's where you are already. It's not yet complete. That won't come until he comes again, but you're already there. And then in verse 4, Paul said that Christ is our life. That means that he's the source of our life, the source of our new life. We know it's new because you've already died with Christ when you joined up, were joined up with him when you were saved. And after the death comes the new life. And just like Jesus has a new resurrection life, you have a new resurrection life given to you by Jesus. And the new you, as you live out that new life, you're going to live it out with the very character of Jesus. And as you do that, you're going to demolish all the barriers that separate you from other believers. Look at how Paul described this, verses 9 through 14. He said, do not do these sorts of things. Do not respond in this way since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. 
and have put on the new self, who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So in verse 9, Paul is talking about the, the old self, the old way of living, the old way of responding. That, that's gone. Put it aside. Because Christ died and you've been united to him in his death, that's not you anymore. Put it aside. And then in verse 10, in place of the old self, you've got a new self. Because you've also been united to Christ in his resurrection. So you've got the new self, a new resurrection life, and Paul refers to that as a new self. And notice how he describes that new self in verse 10. He says, you've put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That's according to the image of Christ who created him or the new you. Paul uses this metaphor of putting off or taking off old clothes, old dirty clothes, and putting on new clean clothes. That's a picture of what it looks like to take off the old self and its way of responding and putting on the new self and its way of responding. And even though that has already been done by God when you were saved, Paul says that this reality needs constant renewal. It needs an ongoing refreshing. It needs renewal in the true knowledge of Christ and what his character is all about and how he responds, and we find that in the pages of Scripture. It needs this ongoing refreshing because the old flesh, it's not gone yet. And every day, it's trying to pull us backwards into the old habits, the old way of responding. And so we need constant renewal. Even though we got a new self, we need a constant renewal. And then in verses 12 through 14, Paul describes what the new life looks like when it reflects Jesus Christ. And notice how much of the description matches what Paul said the character of Christ looks like, the fruit of the Spirit, from Galatians chapter 5. He says, put on a heart of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He talks about bearing with one another. That means to put up with each other when it's hard to do so. And to forgive each other. Just like God has forgiven you. And then at the end, he says, above all these things, put on love. 
is I think that these character traits, these behaviors are what it looks like to love each other in different circumstances. And when we do that, when we love like Jesus loves, look what Paul said the result is going to be. At the end of verse 14, it said it's going to be the perfect bond of unity. Back in chapter 11, I mean, verse 11, he mentioned what that unity is going to look like. Look at it again. He says that when you are renewed like that, when you love like that, it says you're going to have a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman. So when you unite to Christ, all the barriers between believers are gone. Not all the differences, right? We're not created identical, right? We're created uniquely and specially by God. But the barriers that can get in the way and divide us, they're history, they're gone. When we have the character of Christ and we love like Jesus loves, right? No national barriers like between the, the Jews and the, and the Greeks or the Gentiles. No religious barriers like those who've been circumcised and those who haven't. No cultural barriers like the barbarians. That's how the Greeks refer to those who weren't Greek. Um, and the Scythians. No social economic barriers like between the free man and the slave. Right, the barriers are gone because we're all the same before Christ before God. We're all sinners who have been saved by God's grace. We've all been united to Christ and been given a new identity. Well, that's the old you, or excuse me, the new you, but only if you've been united to Christ. And you only get that way if you have trusted Christ for your salvation. If you've not done that yet, whether you're sitting here in the pews or you're joining us online, let this be the day. Let this be the day that you experience the death of the old self and the resurrection life of the new self by trusting Christ to save you, by having him pay the penalty for your sins. It's as simple as that. So what was Paul doing in this part of his letter to the Colossians? The end of verse, or, um, chapter 2, the first half of chapter 13. Well, Paul knew that every believer, every follower of Jesus has changed. They've been given a new identity. They've changed from the old self into a new self. And God has already done that. He's given them a new nature. Nature of Christ. So they can respond like Christ, so they can look like the fruit of the Spirit. But he also knew that the Christian life doesn't always measure up to what it should be. When he looked at his life, and he looked at the lives of um, other believers who have had that, that new life, there's a discrepancy oftentimes between who they are and what they do. And it led Paul to ask a couple of questions. If believers who have been united to Christ in his death and therefore the old sin nature has died, why 
do they still respond like the world does? Question number two. If Christians who have all experienced the resurrection life of Christ and been given the new nature, the godly nature, why is it that it's only sometimes they do pretty good at looking like Jesus? But other times, they respond with rage, with speech that wounds. They live in fear. They, they, they feel the need to, to turn to drugs or alcohol or sex or shopping or eating to medicate the pain of life. We could ask a question ourselves. Why did Matthew West feel the need to write that song? Truth be told. Were Christians pretend or even lie and say they're, they're all right, that they're fine, but they're not. They're living broken lives and they're not experiencing the peace of their new resurrection life. Paul's answer is the same for all those questions. And his answer is that, yes, you've been given the new resurrection life, the new nature, but guess what? It's living its life in a not yet made new body. Spiritually, the new life, the new nature, but physically living in the old body that's got the ungodly desires that is trying to pull you back into the old way of doing things. And so Christians, there's a disconnect oftentimes. And we frequently resort to the old way of doing things, the old way of responding. Why is that? Could be force of habit. Could be that, yeah, there indeed is pleasure, temporary, in indulging the flesh. And frankly, it can be hard to respond like Jesus all the time. Whatever the reason is, people respond, Christians respond according to the old self and not according to the character of Jesus. But Paul's point is, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. Well, we've seen the old self. We've seen the new self. Let's look at a, an appropriate way to respond. So how should we respond? Choose to act like your new life is real. <laughs> because it is. Choose to act like your new self is real. Notice what Paul said in chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Notice that in every one of these verses, Paul gives commands. That means you have to do something. And what Paul tells you to do is what you need to do in order to act like your new self, your new life is real. 
Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. That's this emphasis on peace. Paul is pointing out that one of the key blessings of the new life, of the Christian life, is peace. But if you're going to experience Christ's peace, then you have to choose to let his peace rule in your hearts. That means you have to let peace help determine how you're going to respond. Choosing peace. What's going to cause peace between you and God? And peace with one another. And when you choose to be thankful, this is why this is in there. When you choose to be thankful because you're trusting God to give you what you need, it's easier to choose peace. Because now you don't have to strive to get something that God hasn't given you and that you think you deserve or that you want. When you choose peace and thankfulness, instead of feeling deprived, you don't have to lie. You don't have to speak in words that wound others. You don't have to try to get what you want by responding with rage. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. If you're going to experience the resurrection life, then you have to choose to let the wisdom of God and his word dwell deeply inside you. You have to know what his word says. You have to meditate, it on, meditate on it. You have to let it sink deep into your soul. And then you have to choose to live according to what it says. Verse 17. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Contrary to what some of us think, there is no separation in God's mind between what is religious and secular, I mean, um, um, sacred, and what is a part of our lives that is worldly and secular. We live all of our lives in front of God. And so Paul says, whatever you do, do it all in the name of Jesus. The name here means his, his character, so you, you respond with the very character of Christ, right? You have that new life, you have that nature, you have that character, so act like it. So after you've put off the old, you've put on the new self, how should you respond? Choose to act like the new self is real. How you live should match up with who you are. How you respond should be like how you really are, that you really do have that new self. Now, I know for me, it's easier said than done, isn't it? So, so how do you do it? Whatever the desires of the flesh that you have, whatever they are, you have access to divine resources to help you. And so ask God for his help. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will work directly in your life by his power alone after you've asked him for help. But other times, I think the majority of the time, the Holy Spirit will work through his people. 
He'll work through your brothers and sisters in Christ, through your church family here at Grace. And an excellent ministry that we have here at Grace in which the Holy Spirit works through his people is the regeneration ministry. Let's take a look at this video. Prior to Regen, I spent a lot of time making idols. My life was full of anger and bitterness, even though I knew Jesus. Before Regen, I was anxious. It was all about control. Control, control, control. Um, my goals. Before coming to Regen, I struggled with anxiety. I thought I was the hero of the story. I felt unworthy. I thought my brokenness must be kept in secret. After Regen, I feel like I can be more honest with myself. I learned how to find my identity in Christ rather than in broken systems. I don't fear the future and I've stopped trying to grasp for control. Anger and bitterness has been replaced by freedom and the healing power of grace in Christ. While working through Regen, I learned how to more fully place my trust in Christ and the anxiety melted away. I'm no longer controlled by fear or anxiety. I now submit to God as the Lord of my life. After Regen, I realized that my value is in Christ. My value, my identity, my worth comes from Christ. Christ used Regen as his instrument in letting me know that I was not alone in this fight, that my brokenness could be healed, and that I no longer had to keep my brokenness a secret. I'm now open to share my brokenness with anybody that's willing to listen to me. So what does it look like when a real person goes through Regen? I want to share with you a bit of the story of Mason Smith and his wife, Gail. Uh, many of you know Mason. I have their permission to share part of their story. But this, this is real life. And real life could be messy. And a lot of you know that because your lives have been messy. Mason grew up in a home where his mother taught him to be a good Catholic, active in the church, and his dad taught him that the most important things in life are status and money. Mason grew up believing that God was real. He knew who Jesus was, but he didn't have that personal relationship. That came in college when he was invited to a Bible study for baseball players. He heard the gospel, trusted in Christ for his salvation, but you know, he, he liked satisfying the desires of the flesh. And so he didn't do too much to change the old habits of his old self. He and Gail got married while they were in college. After graduation, he started to work for her dad. The entry level was as a laborer not the exalted position that his dad had been grooming Mason for. And so the, the shame of disappointing dad and disappointing himself led him to want to medicate the emotional pain. Have you been there? Mason's medications of choice were alcohol and womanizing. 
Well, that's not what Gail had signed up for. And as the relationship just kind of spiraled downward, she wanted out and she filed for divorce. Mason moved out. Sometime later, he took a good look at himself in the mirror and he didn't like what he saw. And in desperation, he called out to God for help. And God heard and answered. He used a series of sermons for Mason and involvement in a church community group for Gail to work on restoring each of their relationships with God and then to reconcile them with one another. And although God restored their marriage, he didn't restore their finances. And that remained a huge problem for them. And as the unanswered prayer about finances kept going, Mason began to wonder just how practical is this Christian life? And he got angry with God. But then he went through Regen. And Regen helped, as Mason said on the video, to really understand his new identity, his new life in Christ. And it pointed out to Mason that the reason why he was struggling is because he's still trying to do life the world's way. Choosing to respond in the ways of the world instead of God's way. And that all changed. And today, Mason is not yet perfect. I, I know it's shocking. He's not 100% victorious, but he is a whole lot better than he used to be. And he genuinely experiences God's peace and his joy. He improves every year. And I want that for you. I want you to thrive in your new life in Christ. So please, seriously and prayerfully consider the Regen ministry for yourself. Now to get more information or to sign up for the next ministry cycle, you can do it a couple of ways. You can go to our website, gracebiblechurch.org, and at the top of our homepage, you'll see some tabs. Click on the events tab. You'll open up a page that Regeneration will be listed, or you can just go out to the kiosk the care ministry kiosk, and um, there will be people from Regen um, there to help you. Well, we've seen that the way in which the owed you responds to the desires of the flesh. It's not effective in controlling those desires because it depends on human wisdom, human roles, and frankly, likes to indulge those desires. We've seen the new you. And the way it responds to the desires of the flesh is heaven-focused and Christ-like because you've been united to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. My challenge to you today and the rest of the week is to choose to respond like your new life is real. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for the gift of faith in him, for our salvation in him, for being united with him. Thank you for making us new, giving us the new nature, the new self, the new resurrection life. But too often, we choose to live like nothing's changed. That's not good for us, not good for those around us, and certainly not good for your reputation, for who you are and what you do. And so today, in the days ahead, we ask that you would help us to choose 
to live like our new lives are real. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.